Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. Well, giving honor to God, who's ahead of my, my life, as well as my family, Pastor Preston, to the leaders here at PGC, and all of our members, and those of, of you that are following us through multimedia, I welcome you here this morning. Amen. 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 I come to bring you a word uh, to bless you or to give you a word of comfort or just maybe a word of encouragement. So let's take a moment to pray. Most gracious and loving God, we come to you with open hearts and open minds, ready to receive from you today. Now allow me to be used to deliver your word that will Help break bondages, set the captives free, give hope to the hopeless, and give us strength for the, for the traveling ahead. We need you, Lord. We thank you. Today, the title of the message is, Through Adversity, God Still Knows Your Name. In the early days of the church, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, meant that you had to live in a state of terror. Early Christians were being hunted and put to death, and Jewish leaders, religious leaders, who were trying to stop Christianity and its spread. They thought the best way to do that was to kill the leader of the church. So they killed our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were determined to kill his disciples. Christianity was a threat to the Roman Empire and to the Jews that were in power at that time. The Jews in power saw Christianity as competitors to their religions and a threat to the influence they had with the Roman government. So they tried to stop Christianity by killing the leader of the church. Leaders of most, of, of most movements that threatens the status quo, they live in a constant state of terror because of terrorism. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the most renowned civil rights leader and the leader of the movement, movement he led, lived in a life of terror. When Dr. King became the head of the civil rights movement, his whole life changed. I have a quote by Dr. King. He says, there are some things that are so dear, some that are so precious, some things so eternally true that they're worth dying for. And I submit to you that if there's a man that does not discover what he will die for, he is not fit to live. Dr. King was seen a threat to the social order of things, especially in the South, when he started talking and coming against the Vietnam War. He was seen as a threat to the whole country. So he lived with threats. Imagine being so hated when you were walking down the street, people would spit at you. Imagine having your home firebomb. Imagine someone sticking a knife in your chest. Imagine the nasty calls waking he and his family up all times of the night. Imagine being a threat at every march you lead being hit with the force of water by the fire hoses and the dogs that they would lease upon you. And then imagine being thrown into jail time and time again. It is said 
that Dr. King went to jail 29 times. The head of the FBI labeled Dr. King as America's greatest threat. The FBI has always been one of our most powerful government agencies. So can you imagine being a threat to them and they being your enemies? My Lord. They continued to harass Dr. King. They even bugged his phone where he could have no private conversations. Dr. King was terrorized every day because he sought to disrupt the structure of inequality in America. He was a young Christian with a beautiful wife and family, but they all lived in a state of terror. And it's exhausting to live in terror. Dr. King says, let no man pull you so low as to hate them. The pressure of terror can do and be so overwhelming that you want to just give up. You want to stop doing what, you, what you're doing and live a normal life like everyone else. That happened to Dr. King when he was 27 years old. He was a pastor of a Baptist church down in Montgomery, Alabama. The terror in his life began when he began to lead the Montgomery bus boycott. Back in those days, black people had to sit at the back of the bus, and if the bus was filled, they had to give up their seat for a white person. So Dr. King led a, a, a movement that involved organizing more than 40,000 African Americans in Montgomery to a boycott, and he led it for a state in effect for a little over a year. Well, that meant that people had to avoid riding the bus, and they had to come up with carpools and other ways of getting people to and fro wherever they had to go. The city became so desperate to end the boycott that city police began to harass Dr. King and his organizers. Carpool drivers were arrested. The boycott did last 361 days, but it took a toll on Montgomery. They lost about $3,000 per day in tears. Amen. So they were hit hard. One elderly African-American woman was quoted saying this about the boycott. She says, my soul has been tired a long time. Now my feet are tired and my soul is resting. Another, <laughs> another quote of, of Dr. King, he says, life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you going to do for others? In other words, what are you willing to sacrifice? The boycott threatened the culture of segregation in Mon Montgomery, and a lot of people were upset with Dr. King and continued to threaten him. He received as many as 40 calls on his personal phone at home every day. Can you imagine if he had a cell phone? My <laughs> Lord. One day, someone called him, and they used that N-word, and they said, Dr. King, we're tired of your mess. If you don't get out of town in the next three days, we're going to blow up your house and blow your brain out. That really shook Dr. King. He said after that call, he went into his kitchen. He made himself a cup of coffee, and he began to cry out to God. He says, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right, but I must confess I'm losing courage. King explained that he heard that small, still voice say, Martin Luther, 
Stand up for truth. Stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. Dr. King says, fear left. Praise the Lord. Several nights later, a bomb did go off on his front steps, but fortunately, no one was at home. Praise the Lord. See, when you live in constant fear, especially at that level, you also live with the possibility of dying at any time. Your faith must be strong. But your passion for what you believe in must be stronger than your desire to live. King says you can kill the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream. Hallelujah. The terror that Dr. King lived with was similar to the terror of the early Christians and the constant bombardment they lived with. Christians were being hunted down and thrown into prison and some killed. They were having their homes and their land, their land repossessed and taken away from them. Some were killed by being torn apart by animals for sport at the Colosseums. And some were crucified like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christianity in this early church lived in a constant state of terror. They were suspicious of anyone and everyone. They didn't know who might turn them in. A guy who became known for hunting down Christians and throwing them into prison was a Jewish man named Saul. Saul had studied the law, he had studied the law of Moses, and he was one of he, he, he sat up under one of the most respected and renowned Jewish rabbis. And they gave Saul permission to go out and arrest Christians all over the Roman Empire. Imagine if you had an agent that had the legal rights to come in here and take you or one of your family members out. What would you say? It is said that Paul made havoc of the church. He was going in, dragging out men and women and taking them to prison. Back then, that term havoc referred to the destruction of a city or being torn apart by wild animals. Like most terrorists, Saul thought he was doing God a favor by killing the people he thought were enemies of God. Saul had a burning hate. Saul was determined to go to Damascus to capture Christians and take them to Jerusalem for trial. On the way to Damascus, he had a supernatural encounter. He had that encounter with Jesus himself. Saul was blinded by light and he, he fell to the ground and he heard the voice of Jesus. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus who you're persecuting. Jesus also said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. That was an expression used by farmers back in the day. It described that they would, they would use a stick with a, a long point with an iron tip on it, and they would prod the oxen when they were out in the field plowing. The farmer would prick the animals with that stick to steer them in the right direction. Sometimes the animal would rebel by kicking back. And every time he did it, that prick came in just a little bit tougher. 
So he experienced his, because of his stubbornness, he experienced that, that stick just a little bit more. When, when, when Jesus said that to Paul, Paul could relate to exactly what Jesus was talking about, being stubborn. Jesus knew, uh, uh, Saul knew scriptures from A to Z, and he was convinced that Jesus was not the Messiah. And that's why he had tried to stop the movement. In essence, Jesus told him to persecute his believers was persecuting him. And he wasn't going to allow that to happen. Jesus told Saul to go on to Damascus, and there I will give you some more instruction. When Saul opened his eyes, he could not see because he had been struck blind. The men with him had to lead him to Damascus. Saul had just had that supernatural encounter with Jesus, the living God. And now he is blind and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to Damascus and he waits for the Lord to come and help him. Saul ended up fasting three days and three nights. I bet you those are the longest three days in his life. <laughs> See, when something catastrophically happened to most people, you do, whole, do a whole lot of talking. Some of us go into bargaining with God. God, if you would do this, I would do that. If you did that, I would do this. You understand what I'm saying? I wonder what Saul was saying to God while he was blind. To go from seeing one minute to being blind the next is the worst thing that can happen to a person. We take our sight for granted. If you can't see, you can't drive. If you can't see, you bump into things. If you can't see, it's hard to read. Sin is as much of a part of our lives as breathing. So we don't think about it until we don't have it anymore. That's where Saul was. On top of the world one day, but pitiful and blind the next. Do you think he was going over all the scriptures he had learned from that Jewish leader or what he learned from growing up as a young man? Because back in that day, the Jewish boys were trained to recite the whole book of the Bible. I wonder if Saul was trying to figure out how he could have been so far wrong and so far off as to miss the big picture of who the Messiah is. God struck Saul with blindness to get his attention. Saul was blind for three days. That's a long time to be wandering in the dark. You know, if you've ever had your power lost and you had to grab a flashlight to get around your house, imagine absolutely no light for three solid days. Jesus told Saul where to go and to wait for further instructions. Jesus knew that he would heal Saul. He knew that Saul would serve him to the day he died. But Jesus also knew that Saul really didn't know him. And Saul, for him to trust God, it's almost impossible to trust someone you really don't know. But I believe in those days of darkness were some of the brightest days in the life of Saul. Because while he was sitting in darkness, he was getting to know Jesus. He was meeting the one who would bring light and eternal life. He was being introduced to someone that would become the love of his life. Someone that he would fall in love so hard that we, he would give up his life. He would end up taking a lot of beatings for Jesus. 
He would end up traveling all over the known world at that time to preach the gospel for Jesus. He would end up being rejected by his own people for Jesus. He would end up writing about half of the New Testament for Jesus. And he would end up going to jail time and time again for Jesus. He, tra he would trade in that safe life to live a life of terror for Jesus. He would end up eventually dying for Jesus. Those three days might seem torturous to us, but I would imagine during those three days, Brother Saul was being walked through the scriptures by the word himself. Oh, my Lord. It, it could not have gotten any brighter than that. Praise the Lord. To have the word himself walking you around in his word. Amen. While Saul was in Damascus blind on the other side, of town was a Christian named Ananias. The Lord came to Ananias in a vision and told him to go down and visit with Brother Saul. Jesus told Ananias exactly where he could find Saul. Jesus said Saul was at a house in Judas on a street called Straight. Jesus even told Ananias that Saul, what he would be doing and that Saul is expecting you. Ananias was like most Christians back in the day. They didn't want anything to do with Saul. Saul had a bad reputation. So Saul began to argue with God. You want me to go where and do what? Are you sure? I would imagine he says, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Saul, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, here's Ananias start telling Jesus all about Saul as if Jesus didn't know anything about Saul. He said, this man, he's hunting down your people. He's throwing them into prison. You know, God knows everything. There's nothing that we can tell God that he already doesn't know. There's nothing we can surprise God with. While Ananias is being obedient, he goes on to Saul, and, and by the power of God, he restores Paul, uh, Saul's sight. Saul then changes his name to Paul, and he becomes one of the most effective witnesses for Jesus. His com conversion marked a major turning point in the history of early Christianity. Paul was immediately convinced that faith in Jesus alone brought salvation and it did not require adherence to the Jewish law. That opened the door for the Gentiles, that's you and I, to enter the faith. My brothers and my sisters, as we celebrate the Black History Month, some of us live in a great deal of terror. We have to get armed security even in our churches because people come into our churches and they're killing people. Our children are growing up in a state of terror, not knowing when a mass shooting is going to take place in their schools. As a matter of fact, just last Friday, my son-in-law's school, they had to shut it down, code red. Somebody was threatening to kill somebody. Amen. Lockdowns. Cameras are providing evidence of terror. We have experienced even at the hands of our law enforcement. Now, I can go on and on and on, but I want to leave you today encouraged. I want to remind you 
of a God who knows your name. God knew Dr. King's name and God reminded Dr. King there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. He tells Dr. King to remain steadfast, immovable. Continue to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord for your labor is not in vain. And by the way, Dr. King, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. God called Paul's name. When Paul lost his physical sight, he gained spiritual insight. And he was able to see Jesus more clearly. He embraced that radical vision of the gospel with a new perspective. Paul states in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. He was able to see the power of God's salvation is available for everyone, regardless of your race, regardless of your nationality, your gender, whether you're crippled or blind. Salvation is available for all. God knew Ananias. Ananias was a, uh, he was a follower of Jesus in Damascus. And he knew about Paul and that terrible reputation that Paul had. God used this reluctant servant to play a crucial, Paul, uh, a crucial role in Paul's conversion. In faith and obedience, Ananias obeyed God. He finds Paul, he lays hands on him to receive his sight, to be filled and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Isaiah tells us that God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Over in Romans, he says, all things work together for them that, are, that love the Lord and that are called according to his purpose. See, God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. God knew how to bring them together to bless the world. God knew where they were and how and what they're also dealing with. God knows what all of you are dealing with. There's nothing that you're dealing with he doesn't already know about. God can bring you to whatever you need. We serve a God who can supply all of your needs. God causes your enemies to bless you. God can bring light into your darkest of time. God knows your name. God knows where you are. He is our protection. He is our provision. He is our peace. He can do anything but fail. Put your trust in him. Christ tells us, don't let your heart fail you because of fear, because we're going to go through some hard times. So go ahead and get ready. We're going to go through some hard times. But in Exodus, he's told us not to be afraid, to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will fight for you. Our God is always searching the earth for people who will trust him in every crisis, in every trial, and every hopeless situation. Call on him. Through adversity and terror, God still knows your name. Amen.
thank you for listening. It is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of God. If you have a prayer request or praise report or would like additional information on Pleasant Grove Church or other recorded messages, come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-carry.org. Thank you again.